a young woman in a shopping mall had a t-shirt on that was emblazoned with these words, lead me not into temptation, I can find it myself. And I really think that's the kind of response this woman was wanting to hear as people were seeing that t-shirt. But, but you know that that one-liner raises a question for us, I think. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer. And when we are praying, what are we asking for when we come to this particular petition of the prayer? And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, I want us to explore that, that question for a few moments as we look at this petition and, and as we blend this uh, petition with with your Bible study lesson this morning related to uh, Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. First of all, we remember that the disciples had come to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus responded with what we call the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And he said, when you pray, pray in this way. Here's a model for you. And of course, the petition we're looking at this morning begins by saying, and do not lead us into temptation. This is by far the most difficult petition to understand because it, it seems to imply that our Heavenly Father will tempt us to sin. The reason for this is because the Greek word for temptation can be uh, translated in two different ways. One, one translation, it, it could mean temptation to sin, or it can mean the testings and, and the trials of life like suffering and persecution. So let's look at these two possibilities for just a moment and, and again ask the question, does, does God tempt you and me, his people, to sin? Well, the answer to that is emphatic, no. The Bible makes it absolutely clear that God does not tempt us to sin. In fact, if you look at James chapter 1, verse 13, you remember it says this, let no one say <clears throat> when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Well, let's look now at what most scholars believe Jesus intended in this prayer when he said temptation. Most scholars believe Jesus was talking about the testing times and the trials that come in our lives. 
So again, God does not tempt us to sin, but God does allow us to be tested for our own good and for our spiritual growth. In fact, one author explained it, explained it like this. There must be those situations which have the potential for the Christian to fail. Unless there is the potential to fail, there cannot be the potential to grow. So God leads his children into situations in which he designs that his children shall grow in grace and knowledge and the Father may be glorified. And then he says this, oddly enough, it just so happens that the crucible of Satan's temptation is often the arena of God's testing. I think the best example of this is the kind of temptation that Jesus experienced in the wilderness. You remember in the gospel stories, we are told that at Jesus' baptism, and immediately after his baptism, Jesus is, is driven, Mark, Mark says, compelled to go into the wilderness and in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And let's just review those temptations for just a moment. The first temptation seems simple enough, doesn't it? Satan looked around and saw all of the rocks, and if you've been to Israel out in the wilderness areas, if there's one thing you learn about Israel, they got a lot of rocks. And so Satan looks at those rocks and he says, well, if you're hungry, and, and obviously all of the people, many of the people in Palestine, that, that's their primary source of food is bread. He says, why don't you just turn these rocks into bread? But Jesus understood. He did not come into the world to be a bakery chef. He came into the world to be the savior of the world. And so he overcame temptation with the word of God. He said, it is written. And, and all of his quotations are, are from the book of Deuteronomy. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then we come to the second temptation. In this temptation, the devil challenged Jesus to go to the pinnacle of the temple and to jump off there. Now, obviously, that's a little more challenging than the first temptation, but, but Satan had a solution to Jesus' problem. He said, look, if you jump off the pinnacle, then God is going to send down the angels to swoop down around you and, and save you before you splatter yourself all over those rocks on the floor. Well, what was his 
reward for this. Satan suggested that when all of the people saw this kind of miracle, they would follow him. So why didn't Jesus just make a a circus and sideshow out of his ministry? Because he knew that if he focused only on the sensational, he might win a large group of followers in the short term, but, but those same sensation seekers would move on when the next circus came to town. And so Jesus in that moment refused to be the entertainment Messiah. And again, he quoted scripture, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then we come to this third temptation. This was much more ingenious. This was was much more cunning on the part of Satan. He promised Jesus if that he would bow down and worship him, he could have all of the world, all of the nations of the world, no pain, no suffering, no cross. And here's where it was cunning. No one but Jesus and the devil would know about it. But Jesus knew something. He knew that to worship Satan would destroy his understanding of God's will for his life and shatter his relationship with his heavenly Father. And so he rebuked the devil saying, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, Jesus was tempted every day just like we are. Think about that for a moment. Jesus was tempted every day just like us. Especially at those junctures in his ministry. In the wilderness, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he pleaded with his Father to let this cup pass from me. And even on the cross, Jesus was tempted. But according to the writer of Hebrews, Jesus passed every test with flying colors. He never yielded to temptation. He never, never sinned against his heavenly Father. And yet, when we come to the model prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, Father, 
do not lead us into temptation. What's Jesus about here? What, what, would, he, what he, would he be thinking here when he said that? Well, let me suggest this to you. I would suggest Jesus said this because he knew from experience. He knew from his own experience that the testing times of life are the most difficult times in our lives. And let's be honest. When was the last time you prayed for God to lead you into temptation? We just do not want to go there. But whether we request it or not, temptations are going to come. Temptations are inevitable in our lives. And because they will come, that's how we will grow. That's how we mature in our faith. And when they do come, remember the promise of Scripture. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. I like that. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation. Listen. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Okay, so Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The commentators suggest this is a very dynamic phrase. For you see, deliver us can also be translated rescue us from evil, or my favorite translation is snatch us from evil. And then this word evil, in this phrase, Matthew did not use the general term for evil. Instead, he used the word for personal evil. And so this phrase is better translated, rescue us or or snatch us from the evil one. Deliver us. Well, who is this evil one? What's this evil one all about? There's a lot we could say about the evil one. There's a lot written about the evil one, and I'm not even going to get into all of that. 
In fact, if you remember, last fall, I think it was, we did a book study. The book was entitled Faith Lies, L-I-E-S, written by Daryl Smith. And one of the chapters in that book deals with Satan. And he gives a very, I think, very comprehensive uh, uh discussion there about Satan, so I would encourage you to look up that book. There's probably one in the library. You could order it online, but it it gives a a good uh, view of of Satan and our understanding of Satan, but but let me just address who who is this evil one. The Bible has two names that are used for the evil one. The name Satan comes from the Hebrew. It's, it's the most uh, ancient of the names. You'll find it in, in the book of Job. Go back and read the chap- chapter 1 of the book of Job. It means one's adversary. It means one's accuser. It means one's enemy. You might think of it in terms of a, a prosecutor in the heavenly court. That would be the role of Satan. So Satan is the enemy of the people of God. He is our enemy, and because of that, we need need to take him very seriously. The Bible takes him seriously, and so did our Lord Jesus Christ. The other name for the evil one is devil. You will find that more often in the New Testament because Devil is uh, the English word for the Greek word that translates the Hebrew word Satan. It's diabolos in the Greek, and is transliterated as devil in the New Testament. That name means slanderer. In other words, the devil slanders us, the devil lies about us, the devil is all about ruining the reputations of believers in Christ. In fact, the Bible calls him in 1 John, or John 8, 44, the father of lies. That's who he is. He's known as Satan. He's known as the devil. But now having said that, what does he do? What is Satan all about? Well, there's two interesting insights about Satan in the Bible. One comes from the book of Job. If you haven't read Job lately, just go back and read chapter 1 of Job. In that chapter, we are told that one day, Satan came before the Lord. And the Lord asked Satan, where do you come from? Where, where have you been? And Satan responded in this way. From roaming about the earth and walking around on the earth. And then when you go to the New Testament, the apostle Peter picks up on that in 1 Peter 5, 8, you remember he gives this warning. 
He says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So what is Satan doing as he's roaming to and fro on the earth? Very simply this. He is tempting you and me to yield to that temptation and to sin against our Heavenly Father. We're really in a spiritual struggle with an enemy who knows our every weakness, who knows our every blind spot, and he appeals to our greed, to our selfishness, and to our sensuous nature. And he delights when you and I yield to those temptations and sin against God. Well, here we come <laughs> to the important question. If temptation is inevitable, how do we cope with it? How do we respond to the temptations that are going to come to us every day that we have life. Well, let's look at how Jesus responded to those temptations in the wilderness. First of all, Jesus responded quickly to the temptations. He did not allow temptation just to roll around in his head. It's like one of those, those uh, what are those things that go on the screen, scrolls? He didn't allow it to do that in his mind, just to keep coming around and around and around. No. He dealt with the temptation immediately. He responded to the temptation directly. And after responding to it, he put it behind him. There's a great story about two monks who illustrate that very well. The two monks are traveling along, walking on a, on a journey, and they come to a, <clears throat> excuse me, they come to a ford in the river. And at that edge of the river, there is a beautiful woman standing there and very perplexed about how she's going to get across the river. And so one of the monks goes to her and he said, get on my back and I'll, I'll carry you through the waters. And that's exactly what he did. She got on his back. He carried her through the water. When they got to the other side, he put her down. Well, the, the other monk standing on the opposite side of the river, he came on across. And so once again, the two monks are together and they they began their travels again. They're walking and they're walking and they're walking quite a long time until finally the monk who did not carry the woman across the water said, 
said to that monk, he said, uh, he said, surely it's not right to touch a woman. It's against the commandments to have close contact with women. How, how could you go against the, the rules of our, our order? That's just not permitted. Well, the monk who had carried her across the river on his back just kept on walking. He said nothing, kept walking, until finally he stopped and he turned to the other monk and he said this, I put that woman down a long time ago. Why are you still carrying her? When temptation comes, follow the pattern of Jesus. He dealt with it immediately. He responded to it directly. And after he had responded to it, he put it behind him. Now notice one last thing. How Jesus responded to that temptation experience. In each case, as he quoted scripture, he was putting God first. As I said, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And let me just remind us again what he said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You shall not put your God to the test. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Well, what it all boils down to is, is simply this. Who has the priority in your life? Who really is number one in your life? Who do you put first? Well, you see, how you answer that is going to determine how you respond to the temptations that come to you. Are you, are you simply putting self first? Oh, I can handle this. Well, let me ask you, how's it going? How's it going? Or are you going to put God first? Are you going to let Him help you resist the temptations of Satan? If you want to, to win the battle against temptation, you have to make up in your mind who you're going to trust, who you're going to follow. Yourself or God. 
then and only then will you have the resources that you really need to overcome the temptations of life. And don't forget this. The scripture says, greater is he who is in you, Christ Jesus, than he who is in the world. And never let Satan forget that. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Our Father, you've spoken to us this morning through songs, through prayers, through proclamation. And now as we come to this point in our experience of worship, we need to respond. Perhaps you're here and you would like to become a, a partner in our ministry here, not only here in this community, but but all around the world, we would invite you to come to be a part of our, our fellowship. Maybe God is calling you to a particular ministry, a place of service. Maybe you want to come and explore that. Maybe you want to come and recommit your life to Christ. Perhaps you're here and you've never really made God first in your life. This is a good time to do it. To come and take your stand with Christ and with his church family. And so may your will be done right here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Amen. We stand, we sing, and you respond to the Spirit's call in your life as we do.